Well, good morning. So glad that you are here this morning. My name is Matthew Holbrook, and I am especially glad to be here this morning to be with God's people, to sing together, and to hear His Word, and to encourage each other. So um, I hope that that is your heart this morning. And uh, above all, we want you to know this morning that we are a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and sacrificially serving Jesus. We do want this morning to uh, especially welcome those who are on live stream and joining us from afar, and um, I hear a rumor that there might be some joining us this morning all the way from France, so McNeils, if you are watching, we want to uh, welcome you to our service this morning, but uh, we are glad that you are all here. Um, if you are new to Grace, uh, we'd love to meet you after the service and uh, ask that you would stop by our Welcome Center out on the plaza. We have some gifts for you and would like to tell you more about what's happening at Grace. So speaking of what's happening, there is a lot happening. Uh, please check online for more information. But in particular, we want to give you an update on the Go With Grace campaign. And here to do that uh, is Pete Roberts. Good morning, everybody. And uh, I am pleased to announce to you that uh, the, the campaign, the capital campaign, uh, is going surprisingly well. And uh, I've got some numbers for you. And there were numbers up on the board there that weren't correct. But, but here, here is where it is as of, as of today. You know, with the, we had a $300,000 matching uh, program going for the, for the first, I think it's six weeks of our campaign. And um, today is the last day to give on that. So if you write a check today or you give online, if the check's dated today, we will count it. Um, but presently, we are at um, 
two, approximately 270,000 of gifts. Is that amazing? Uh, a, a couple of, yes, you could clap over that. Uh, uh, first service didn't clap, by the way, but they were, they, they were, they were sort of asleep. Um, um, but we're about $30,000 short of, of the complete uh, uh, matching plan. And, uh, you know, I'm, at this point, I'm optimistic that that'll happen. Here's some, some overall numbers. Uh, with the receipt of that gift um, the, uh, and the matching, it looks like this fall we will have on hand to write checks uh, uh, probably about a million two hundred thousand. Uh, that's what we have to, to, to do this building. That's, is that incredible? Um, we have a soft number for completion that is one a million seven. Um, we, have, we have gifts that are, are pledged of another 125 that have not been received. The, the goal is to finish by uh, the end of December 23, and uh, that leaves us about 360000 to collect and receive um, in the next 16 months, and, and I'm, I'm optimistic that we can do that. Amen? Amen. Thank you so much for your giving. Yeah, Pete says that uh, it is going surprisingly well. That's like saying we read the Bible and it's surprising that God parted the Red Sea or manna came from heaven or Lazarus was raised from the dead or Jesus raised from the dead. We, uh, we worship a God who does surprising things. So anyway, uh, thank you, Pete. Um, if you are interested or are already helping with our tech team, we want to encourage you to um, go to a tech team meeting immediately after third service. And um, so again, that's for anybody who is already involved or would like to be involved in technology ministries here at Grace. And lastly for this morning, uh, just want to let you know that we have a healthy biblical counseling ministry here at Grace. And for anyone who is looking to um, receive some help from uh, a biblical counselor, uh, the best way to do that is to go through our intake process by filling out an online form, and this will allow us to, uh, to best serve you and connect you with someone who can be helpful, so we want to make you aware of that. If you would, please stand with me as we begin our time of worship together. Uh, I'm going to be reading from Psalm chapter 62, verses 1 and 2, Psalm 62, 1 and 2, and it says, for God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. And Lord, we come to you this morning acknowledging that you alone are our rock. You alone are our salvation. You are our fortress. And so God, may we rest in the reality of all that you are and that we would come and worship and praise you in the midst of a chaotic world, knowing that you are our firm foundation. And so allow us not to be shaken, but to sing with hearts that extol Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As breath, praise the Lord.
Well, if you would, take your Bibles and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And I'm going to be reading from verses 6 to 15, and I'll ask that you remain standing in honor of God's Word as we read. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 to 15. And it says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because, it was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And you may be seated. This morning, there's a couple of things uh, we want to touch on before uh, we pray for our service. And uh, the first is we want to welcome our newest members to Grace Church of Orange. Uh, Luke and Allison Womack are our newest members, and they're sitting right up here on the front, so we want to welcome them. And in addition, kind of bonus, and by the way, we don't do this for all new members that you have to write a song, but Allison is going to be singing a song for us this morning. Uh, this past spring, we were um, able to host a songwriting workshop with Matt Papa, who has written many of the songs that we sing here at Grace, and uh, Allison was a part of that workshop, and um, so this morning, along with her husband, Luke, she's going to sing us the song that she wrote that weekend, and I have now heard that song a few times, and uh, I can tell you it is already one of my favorites. Uh, I think it's fantastic, and I know it's going to be a blessing to all of you this morning. So thank you, Allison and Luke. Um, we are looking forward to that here this morning. Also, we want to highlight uh, that uh, we want to be praying for um, Nate and Kayla Perry, um, who are missionaries that we support in the Horn of Africa, um, doing uh, medical missionary work. They are here with us this morning. They are with the Life Builders class right now in this, uh, this hour, but if you see them, be sure to welcome them, but we want to pray for them this morning. And so let's go ahead and, uh, and pray now together. Lord, we come to you this morning and we, uh, we ask that you would give us eyes to see you more clearly. God, if we dare, would you, would you show us Jesus with the same eyes that Isaiah had in Isaiah chapter 6, to see him lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple. And God, that we would know the holiness and the majesty of Jesus, that we would know that he is holy, holy, holy. We would know that he is completely other. He is completely separate. He is far above us. And God, would you allow us as we see Jesus in that way that we would know the weight of our sin, that we would be crushed by our sin, knowing how it separates us from you. God, may we respond 
as Isaiah did, to say, woe is me, I'm coming undone. God, that we would know that sin, but God, that we would turn and that we would know our Savior and that we would know He has conquered sin, that He died for our sins and that He rose again, proving to be victorious over sin. And so, God, we don't have to be under the weight of that sin, but we can live in joy, joy of knowing that we are freed from sin, that we are freed from the bondage of sin, God, that we are freed from the penalty of sin. And so, God, let us know that more this morning. God, let us respond to that reality with great joy and worship and that we would praise the name of Jesus, that it would be genuine and coming from the deepest parts of who we are. And so we thank you this morning for Jesus. And for those who might be here this morning that don't know that reality, God, would you let your word ring forth this morning? Let the gospel be true. Let Jesus be magnified. And would you use the power of the gospel to change hearts and to bring dead spirits to life to worship and praise the one who has conquered sin on our behalf. And so let these realities be extra true this morning. God, thank you for Nate and for Kayla and their desire to make Jesus known even in difficult places in the world. And would you empower them, encourage them, strengthen them. We pray for them as they are expecting a baby soon that you would give, uh, give them health. And uh, God, above all, that your name would be magnified in their lives and through their ministry. And so we thank you for them. Thank you for this morning. And do your work as your word goes forth this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you, Allison and Luke. It's great to be together, open up the inspired and errant, infallible Word of God. And as we near the end of 2 Thessalonians, we're in week two of three weeks on the obedient church. The obedient church in chapter three, and we're really in the section verses six to 15, and today we'll focus on verses 11 and 12, correcting the unruly. Correcting the Unruly. Amy Carmichael, in her little book, If, on Calvary Love, the love that sent Jesus to the cross, said this, If I fear to hold another to the highest goal because it is so much easier to avoid doing so, then I know nothing of Calvary Love. If someone is out of line, someone is out of control, someone is out of order, unruly, it's often difficult to do anything about it. It's tough to approach someone about something difficult. We avoid the conflict, we sidestep the issue, we ignore behaviors. And we, I think this is what we do, we, we wish that just the infection will heal itself. Sometimes though, as we know, there must be an extraction, there must be an intervention, Oftentimes, there needs to be a correction. And these verses speak to that today, a correction. And what Paul does is he, he really lays down a humble, bold approach, a humble, bold model or example of how to deal with issues. He says what needs to be said clearly and humbly and boldly and firmly, very lovingly, very tactfully. And he does so respecting those made in the image of God. We can learn a lot from these two verses. Because the obedient church is called to correct the unruly, to speak truth to the wayward, to discipline the disobedient, to, to help so that they repent and reconcile. In this passage... Really, verses 6 to 10, we saw last week, it, it gave us a glimpse of the first thing the obedient church does, and the obedient church keeps the command of God, keeps the word of God, even if it doesn't feel good, even if it's not comfortable, obedience is the best course of action. We saw that the command of God is very clear, and, and what, it, what it said to us in verse 16 is, stay away from the idol. Now, I'm not pointing at someone over here. I use my hands a lot, okay? Today, throughout this whole sermon, if, if I seem to point at you or look at you when I say a certain thing, just calm down. It's the way I speak. It's what I do. I'm not pointing at someone in particular. 
But the command was very clear, stay away from the idol. The example that was set was very godly. Work hard to bless, don't be a burden. And the rule was very fair. It was applied to everyone without bias. There was no favoritism going on in the church. But now in verses 11 and 12, you see correcting the unruly. Verse 11 says, we hear that some among you are walking in idleness and not busy at work, but busy bodies. Verse 12 says, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So Paul directly, clearly, lovingly, tactfully addresses and corrects the unruly. He's addressing the unruly. He is addressing the disorderly, the careless, the irresponsible, the lazy. But he is saying what needs to be said. The church needed to hear this. They were gathered together, and it's like if the shoe fits, put it on. If this is you, deal with it. But you notice he's not calling them out. But he is saying what needs to be said and doing what needs to be done because this is what the obedient church does. The obedient church says what needs to be said and does what needs to be done, and it pleases God. I frame my outline in three questions, and these three questions are often used as accusations, but in keeping with the tone of these verses, it's meant to be taken as a probing self-examination that every one of us would, would take these questions to heart. The first question, what are you doing? We sometimes accuse people, what are you doing? Right? But what are you doing? The second question, what are you thinking? Oftentimes they'll say, what are you thinking? Parents will say this to their kids. What were you thinking? What are you thinking right now? This is just, what are you thinking? What are you doing? What are you thinking? And then the third question, how can you? Again, we'll sometimes say, how can you do that? We're going to ask the question, how can you do? what is being called for. Question number one, what are you doing? Verse 11, put your eyes on verse 11. It says, for we hear, tactful, we hear that some of you, we hear that some among you walk in idleness, live in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Not pointing, I'm just making an emphasis here. Not busy at work, busy bodies. Some self-serve, some serve Jesus. He's being tactful. We hear that some. He is not calling them out. He's not accusing anyone in particular. They know. They knew. The person would have known. The people would have known. And he says, they're not busy, but busy bodies. What's interesting here is it's a play on words in Greek, and it's a play on words in English. Quickly seen in English, not busy, but busy bodies. What does it mean to be a busybody? It means to, to work around the good thing that you should do and do something bad. It, it means to waste your energy on hindering rather than helping. Busybodies instead of busy. And the idea is they're not simply idle, they're not simply just not working, but they are meddling in the affairs of others. They're harassing others, they're haranguing others. And Paul had taught them to work. In his first letter, in 1 Thessalonians 2.9, he said, you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we would not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. In that same letter, in, in chapter 4, verse 11, he says, make it your ambition 
to lead a quiet life and to attend to your own business and work with your hands, just as we commanded you. In those days, there were some people that sold all they had and went and lived up on a mountain and said, we're going to wait till Jesus comes back. Well, I'm sure you can guess what happened. After a while, they had to come down off the mountain, go back into the city, and figure out what to do for the rest of their life. Here, what we're finding out is that the second letter is being written, and their issues, some of the issues had gotten worse, and that some people were still not willing to work. And in case you say, well, you know, so they're not willing to work, we can, we'll, you know, we'll pick up the slack. What you need to know is how serious being an idler or being idle or being a busybody is to God. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 13, Paul is talking about people that are doing evil things, and he says this, he says, they learn to be idlers. And they go about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. They're being destructive, they're being harmful. Proverbs 16, 28 says, a dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Peter told the church this in 1 Peter 4.15, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Meddler, idler. That's in the same, in the same context. I, I, I like to picture the meddler like an annoying mosquito. I think it's because I'm Italian, or maybe just because my blood is really sweet. I have been a mosquito magnet my entire existence. I was a walking mosquito bite uh, several times when I was a kid, and I've been getting uh, bit now um, a lot recently, and they, they go for the ankles now. I don't know what's going on. They've changed their tactics. The meddler is like an annoying mosquito, or, or even like a fly. The other, the other night, I killed five flies in our kitchen, and there was still one buzzing around. How annoying. How unwanted, how unwelcome, how uninvited. That's the meddler. The one who refuses to do anything of value, who says, you know what, I'm not going to do something to help people. I'm going I'm to cause a ruckus. They insist on meddling. They bother, they harass, they harangue. They hinder fellowship by selfish choices. These purveyors of idleness, they decide to be pesky and perturb others. And, and the difference is like if you're invited over to someone's house and they're going to show you hospitality, or you just show up at their front door and say, I'm in charge, I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm moving in. I'm going to impose my will on you. It's the difference between hospitality and being held hostage, and the meddler holds you hostage. I don't know how many times I've said this, and I've tested it with script, by Scripture, and you can test it yourself, but scripturally, you, you can't be truly worshiping and sinning at the same time knowingly. You can't be doing you know, evil things and, and good things. You can't be worshiping God and sinning. And the same is true with working and being idle. You can't work and be idle simultaneously. You might look like you're working, but you might be uh, being nefarious and, and doing some idly things and hurting other people. And what happens is you hold people hostage. You need to work hard. You need to work hard not just to work, but whatever roles and responsibilities and gifting God has given you, whatever vocation, whatever calling, a believer knows is initiated and empowered 
enabled by God, whatever gifting, don't be self-willed, don't be self-focused. Don't hold the church hostage, insisting what you will do. Be hospitable, love everyone. I've said this so many times, but I think it bears repeating often. When you're, when you're coming to fellowship with the body of Christ, you should think to yourself before you ever show up, I am going to love everyone, and I am going to be a blessing. I'm not going to give a thought about myself and what I think I need, but I'm going to decide ahead of time that I'm going to bless people with no agenda, but I'm going to work for the benefit of others. That I'm going to be Christ-centered, that I'm going to help, that I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to not hinder. And, and what will happen, what you'll notice is if you're living this way, and so many people I know live this way, and Grace Church I think is a good example of people living this way, is that when you're Christ-centered and you help and you don't come in with your agenda, what you'll notice is that the community confirms your calling and gifting. That you, you won't need to tell everyone what your ministry is. They'll tell you. Because you're operating in a healthy way, you're a contributor, not a consumer, and and so when you ask the question, you know, what am I doing? Am I serving myself or am I serving Jesus? Am I being an idle meddler or am I being a, a, a redemptive helper? Some people serve themselves. What you need to do is work to serve Jesus and bless others. And, and verse 11 just teaches us this. You know, there's some among you that walk in idleness, not busy at work. We're to be busy at work. We're to be busy doing things that are good. Whether you're paid or unpaid, whether it's an uh, a, a, you know, orga- organized thing or an organic thing, you're just finding good things to do. Work to serve Jesus and bless others. And the second question is, what are you thinking? And I want you to look at verse 11 again because... Verse 11 really starts, what's happening there starts in the heart, starts in your thoughts. Look at verse 11 again. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness. Not busy at work, but busybodies. They're walking. The idea is living. This is the pattern of their life. They're making steady progress in a certain direction. You're either going in a good way or you're going in a bad way. Most people are not going sideways that way. They're just going in a good direction or a bad direction. And they're, they're walking, they're living in idleness, unruliness, without order, disorderly, irresponsible, lazy. And their behavior causes a ruckus, causes disorder in the church. These same people in the Thessalonian church were spreading gossip in the church. They had time on their hands, treachery on their tongues. They were in defiance of good order. They were like soldiers refusing to obey orders. They evaded their responsibility. And the answer was, in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, admonish them. Admonish the unruly. Because actions start in your heart and mind. It's coming out of, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The actions come from what's in your heart and mind. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life, or the, the issues of life. It flows right out of your heart. And it's impossible if you're loving worldly, unspiritual things of this life and truly appreciate the love of God and make choices that please him. In Jeremiah 10, 23, it says, O Lord, the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks or lives to direct his steps. We need the Lord. We need, we need his guidance. We need to know what his word says. We need to do what, what he says. And Jesus said this to his disciples. There were, people were leaving Jesus left and right. They're like, 
we got the bread, we got the fish, but we're now we're done. And Jesus says to his disciples, to the 12, do you want to go away also? Peter, beloved Peter, answers it this way. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed. And you, you are the Holy One of God. You're God. So what the disciples were doing, they're acknowledging Jesus' authority, Jesus' sufficiency, Jesus' godhood, and they're, uh, they're acknowledging the authority and sufficiency and the eternal nature of his word because they thought it through. They're thinking it through. And they're, and they're saying, this is, this is what we're going to do. Jesus is God. He's our authority. He's our sufficiency. His word is sufficient. His word is authoritative. It's eternal. They thought it through, and so they, they continued on. After he arose, after he died and, and was buried and arose, and he ascended to the Father, and he sent the Spirit, they knew that the triune God was with them forever, and they continued on. They kept thinking it through. They knew God cares. They knew God knows. They knew God is involved, working all things together for good to those who are called according to his purposes. And so they continued on. They, they were thinking in the way of God. In Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, and it's built on Romans 1 through 11. And it says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, brothers and sisters, brethren, by the mercies of God, the mercies of God just lavished in the gospel, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The idea that those who trust Christ's sacrifice for sin are to freely give themselves to him. And verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It comes by the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, that they would be transformed by the renewing of their minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do this. That you would live and say, Christ in me is my hope of glory. That it's not, not I, but the grace of God with me. Not I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the Holy One protects me from the evil one. And I'm going to keep going in the way of choosing to follow Christ. And choosing fellowship in, in the church. And abide in the God of all comfort. And the God of all grace. I'm going to think it through. I'm going to, I'm going to live this way because I'm thinking it through. I'm not going to be an idler like someone who gets on the freeway and drives the wrong direction. Idlers are like those driving the wrong way on a one-way street. They're going to cause destruction. They're going to cause hindrance. Not busy, but busy bodies. They'd be evildoers. And you've got to ask yourself the question, what am I thinking? It's a pattern of my thoughts, do I, do I wake up in the morning and say, thank you, Jesus, for a new day, and I want to please you, I want to serve you, I want to walk in obedience, in your strength, for your glory? What are you thinking? You need to let Jesus and Scripture renew your mind. I, I say it so often, but it's true. We leak 
It's like the, the air conditioning's on, the, the windows are open, and it's just getting sucked out. We, we need to be reminded. We need to be thinking. We need to be rolling Scripture around in our hearts, in our minds, and, and to be remembering because we so often forget. What are you thinking? Let, let Jesus and, and Scripture renew your mind such that your life speaks, and it speaks good and not evil. I don't look at a lot of surveys and things like that, but I came across one this week that I, I thought was a bit interesting. If you've heard of the Gallup surveys that get you know, uh, presented and taken, and, and there's this new Gallup survey that, that has found that more professing Christians uh, consider behaviors that are morally uh, condemned in, in the Bible to be morally acceptable. Basically, that, that more people who say, oh, I'm a Christian, and this, 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 and this that the Bible says is wrong is okay. Uh, they, they, a lot of Christians are, are basically kind of taking matters in their own hands and saying, well, God's wrong, and I'm right. And what happened, the, the, the background on this is in the early 2000s, so if you were alive, let's say, in the year 2000, 22 years ago or so, they started tracking people's responses to the moral acceptability of various behaviors, lifestyles, choices, and what have you. And what they see now in 2022 is, and it shouldn't be the biggest surprise in the world, that the overall trend clearly points to higher acceptance of things the Bible says are wrong by professing Christians. And, and on, if you go down the list on every moral, ethical sexual, social, spiritual issue, the shift is in a more permissive direction. Not towards a more biblical position compared when they were first measuring it in the early 2000s. I mean, Jesus isn't a genie in a bottle. He's not a fast food restaurant. He's not a vending machine. You can't Use Jesus. I was, I was listening either to a podcast or to a, a sermon. I can't remember which it was this week. And someone was saying, we're using Jesus to do this and that. And I turned it off immediately, of course. You don't use Jesus. You don't use him as a commodity. He's not a genie. He's not a fast food restaurant. He's not a vending machine. But here's hear some people talk. It's, I get to insist on everything I want. My comfort is where it's at. And my mind is, is really what roots everything. And what happened to obedience to the inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative word of God that's eternal? It doesn't change, by the way. The word, God's not changing it. And, and if you're a Christian, you've got to say, well, wait. Jesus is with me, and he expects me to follow his word and to rely on his power to obey him. And I'm not supposed to coddle my feelings and give an excuse for bad behavior. And what this passage is telling us is that sometimes when professing Christians behave badly, there needs to be, like verse 6 says, a withdrawal. There needs to be uh, not having fellowship, we'll see in verse 14, and an admonishment. Admonishment. I'm afraid to point right now. Someone's going to think I'm talking about them. Someone on the live stream, they're like, wow, he looked at me, you know. Yeah, I'm looking at you right now. Hello. Thanks for being here with us. I'm glad you're here. Paul does what we're afraid to do. Sometimes it is necessary to say something good 
to those who are doing bad. And we have a tendency to not do that. Sometimes it's necessary to say something good to those who are doing bad. And here Paul sets the example and addresses it. He gets to the heart of the matter. And, and here's how he says it. Settle down and eat your own bread. <laughs> like, whoa, whoa, wait, what? So I'm supposed to settle down and eat my own bread. What, sourdough bread? Rye? A bagel? A croissant? A little cinnamon swirl? I mean, what? Settle down and eat my own bread? What does that mean? That means live like a believer. Live like a believer. Don't meddle in other people's business. Don't call into question your profession of faith. Just settle down. Calm down. You're causing a ruckus. He's saying examine yourself. Just like Paul told the Corinthians, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. You know, we're coming to the Lord's table today. And in the context of the Lord's table, we're told to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith, to see if we're a believer, to see if we have the Holy Spirit, to see if we are saved, to see if we're regenerate, to see if we're alive as a Christian. And what Jesus says is, if, if you love me, you'll do what I say. Test yourself to see if you're in the faith. If you're right before God and others. Paul always said this. He said, I, I, I live, to, I strive to live with a clear conscience before God and man. I want to serve Christ in everything. And you need to let scripture and let Jesus renew your mind so your life rings true. So you stay in fellowship with Jesus and the church. Such that when we come to the table, as you're living an ongoing life of faith, you're, you're living in, dwelling in the word of God and in prayer and with people. And these are these constant reminders. We come to the table, another constant reminder, the Lord's table, which is another way for the church on an ongoing basis to confirm your testimony of faith and the reality of your salvation. This is not a designer, you know, bread and cup communion thing where it's just you and Jesus, you gather with the church and the church does this together. And it, it's a way that, an, in an ongoing way, that we're reminded of the gospel and we're reminded and the church confirms your faith and the reality of your salvation. And you, you can't pretend. And people pretend sometimes and it's just gonna be found out. This is a, we're gonna take a meal, a meal, bread in the cup, we're gonna take that for the church. The church does that together. It's for members of Christ's body. And we have to take it very seriously. And the idea is you're either loving Jesus and you're obedient to him or not, and you know it in your heart. So even what we do on an ongoing basis, that's, the, that's what we do that will renew our minds and remind us because we leave. Even the ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, they're, they're, they're a call to, impl they, they imply belonging. They're a call to membership in the local body of believers. The baptism and the Lord's Supper are literally invitations for you to join up and link up with a local body of believers, to know and be known, to be recognized as a Christian, to recognize in a certain location by the people of God and, and continually, ongoing, give testimony of your faith in Christ by your life and live consistently and, and what we say is we're not, all, we're not perfect, but we want to live consistently before a group of like-minded believers where we are 
doing life together and we are confessing our sins and we are encouraging one another and we are praying together and we are opening the word and being reminded together. And then what happens is the church continually affirms that, you know what, you're a believer. After the initial affirmation through baptism. Last Sunday we baptized 10 believers. We baptized 10 believers. We heard testimony of the sovereign mercy of, of God in Christ. We heard testimony of the grace of God in Christ. We heard testimony of God's providential leading. We, we rejoiced in God's steadfast love, his goodness. We did it together. And right after, right after, I had stood up before the testimonies, I stood up before the testimonies and explained the gospel and explained what baptism is. And then, and then 10 people came up and gave testimony of their faith and my mind was renewed with gospel truth when I heard those testimonies. I needed to hear those testimonies. Help renew my mind. Even today, we're, 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 we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. It, re- will, it will renew our minds to gospel truth. It will renew our minds towards Jesus. It will point us once again to Christ and the cross. What are you doing? You need to work to serve Jesus and bless others. And, and what are you thinking? Let, let Jesus and Scripture renew your mind so your life speaks good. And question number three, how can you? How can you? Look at verse 12. Now, such persons, he's not pointing them out He's letting themselves point themselves out. That they, can, they can get it. Such persons, though, we command, this is strong, they have to do it, and encourage. We're cheering you on. We're pointing this out so that it will be good for you. We're encouraging you in the Lord Jesus Christ. How can you? In Christ alone, your strength is found. How can you do this calling in Christ alone, we are commanding you and encouraging you in the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Deliverer, our Substitute, the sacrifice for our sins, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is so important. Those not willing to work, that were becoming idle, that were hindering others, that were haranguing others, that were not helpful, were commanded to settle down and begin an ordered life of work. Look at verse 12. We command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. They're being exhorted to quietness and calmness. It's a way of life. A calmness of soul doesn't mean you have to speak in a whisper. It's a calmness of soul and a contentment about your heart that's the exact opposite of busybodying. See, I'm pointing over here now. See, no one's going to be worried. See, over here. Busybody. Putting all the busybodies over here, okay? I'm not trying to point you out. I'm not saying you're a busybody. I'm look, make eye contact. That's the way I preach. I look at you because you're people. You're real. I don't want to preach you in an empty room. They're being exhorted to quietness and calmness, which is the exact opposite of busybodying and idleness. Those 
that are busybodying and idle are the most miserable people on earth. And they want others to be miserable with them. But when you serve the Lord with gladness, I got a, I got a message this morning. I reached out to our Cambodia team, Simon and Brittany and, and Tony, and I said, how are you doing? We're praying for you. And here's what I get back. We're doing well. God is blessing. And we are serving with the joy that only comes from Jesus. They're not meddling. They're not idle. They're rejoicing in Christ. Serving the Lord with gladness. Psalm 100 verse 2. That's why Proverbs 16 3 says, commit your work to the Lord. Your plans will be established. You don't want to be like the fool. You don't want to be foolish. If Ecclesiastes 4, 5 and 6 says, the fool folds his hands, literally, I'm going to not work, I'm just going to do things to mess people up, I'm going to cause a ruckus. You know, last week it was all about my tooth, this week it's all about a ruckus. There are kids that take notes, I hope all of you take notes when, when you're hearing a sermon, you know, or at least take notes in your head, and um, there's kids that come up to me after I preach and they say, you said Jesus, you know, 350 times. I'm like, Yes! But I guess ruckus is the word, because I've, I've said it a bunch of times today, but I think you get the picture. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh, and destroys himself and hurts others. But better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. Paul told Timothy, he said, we would pray that we would lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. It takes you thinking and choosing to live a life that is godly and dignified in every way. Not perfect, but being perfected, being preserved, being sanctified. When you, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, and you come to the phrase that says, give us each day our daily bread, that's after you've said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You want this. You, you live this. It's, and by the way, it's a clear command. It's an exhort, exhortation and an encouragement to do it. To get busy. To don't be a busybody. Turn with me to Ephesians 4. In your Bibles. In Ephesians chapter 4. I want to dwell in these verses. Just run through these for a few moments. It's something I keep coming back to a lot. And we're going to look at Ephesians 4 verses 25 to 32. I'm going to start reading. Therefore, having put away falsehood, each one of you, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. By the way, this is, you're showing like, here's, here's ruckus builders uh, changing their ways, okay? And here's people wanting to help rather than hinder. So put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. We're in the body of Christ together. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Don't start the day, don't finish the day with an angry disposition. Don't let things be unresolved. Verse 27, give no opportunity to the devil. Don't be in league with the devil. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal. If you're stealing, stop it. And don't just stop stealing, do something good. Rather, let him labor, work hard, doing honest work with his own hands so you may have something to share with anyone in need that you will be able to help. You will be able to bless. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Don't let rotten, putrid words come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up. You're helpful, not hindering, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
and then let a bunch of things go that are causing you to be an idler or a, or, or a, or a meddler. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Let it go along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Now we're in the way of Christ, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Remember the gospel. Think it through. Get busy. Don't be a busybody. Idleness leads to idolatry and sinful folly. Find something redeeming to do. Find something constructive to do. When I was a kid, I, this is going to be probably really hard for some of you to grasp, but I was kind of rambunctious. And my mom would say, Michael, that's my name, Michael. She'd say, Michael, find something constructive to do rather than destructive. Find something constructive to do. You, you need, in your life, professing believer, to find something constructive to do, to find something to help other people, to find something that you wouldn't hinder people with, because your choices have consequences. The choices come from ideas. In his book, The Consequences of Ideas, R.C. Sproul spoke of dangerous thoughts and foundational thoughts. And the dangerous thoughts don't lead you anywhere good, and the foundational thoughts are building blocks for life. The Word of God contains those basic building blocks of life, those foundational thoughts. And, and I think we would all be wise to examine ourselves and to think, how can I do this? Socrates said that the unexamined life is not worth living. Thoughts can cause you to examine your actions before they happen. And hold you back from messing someone up. I think I said it before, but I think it's always safe to assume that whatever we find in the Bible maybe, probably fits someone in the body without pointing fingers. Some among you. But why don't we all, why don't we all do this? Why don't we all take it to heart? Why don't we all take this passage to heart together? Every one of us. Just take it personally. And consider with me six ways to live like this. Six ways to live like this. Let's all take it to heart. Can we do that together? Are we good? All right, let's do that. Number one. Number one. Six, here's a way to live this. Live consistent with a claim to godliness. Live consistent with a claim to godliness. You work honestly, work conscientiously. Um, now think about the way people are working, even at like paid jobs right now. People are doing hybrid work. People are doing fully remote. It's a dynamic that has caused a lot of companies to go, you know, this is tougher to stay on point when everyone's remote. They're surfing rather than working. No, downside of boundaryless work is what I would call it, boundaryless work, is requiring employees to realize, you know, we got to find a more intentional way to connect with our workforce. So they're actually doing their work. Uh, you think of volunteer work. I mean, most of you are volunteering in some way to serve Christ and, and the church. And what, well, there's a downside to that is that a lot of people who volunteer say, hey, I'm in charge of that. I'm independent. I'm unaccountable. I never found that in the Bible. Our sin finds a way to break out. And we all know whether you're getting paid, whether you're a volunteer, or whether it's an organic work or, or organized work, whatever it is, whatever you find to do, you can look busy but not really do much good. And you could still be causing a ruckus. 
even if you look busy. You could even still be not helpful, and you've got to find something good to do, and you can't pretend. Way back in the day, at one of Angela's baby showers, when we were having babies, um, maybe it was when Sophia was a baby. I don't remember. Sophia, what are you, 19 years old now? Yeah, okay, so that's a long time ago, and someone gave Angela at one of these baby showers a squirt gun, and there was a little note with it. It said, this squirt gun is to, is a, is to wake Mike up so that he'll help with the baby when the baby cries, and, and I'm guessing it wasn't just me, but and all you men, if you are honest, you, you, like here's what I would do. I, I would find ways to pretend like I was asleep. Look, confession time, right? Uh, I, I would find ways to look like I was asleep when the baby started crying. And if, guys, if you are honest, you will admit it, okay? Be with, stand with me on this. Um, all I'm going to tell you is you've got to find something good to do, and you can't pretend. You can't pretend. Uh, it's easy to look like you're doing something good when you're not. Um, number two, live Christian community aware. Live Christian community aware. Go over to 1 John chapter 1. I want you to see something here. This is where you need to dive headfirst into church life. Uh, that's the answer to your idleness. That's the answer to meddling. And you'll find plenty to help to keep you busy. Look at, look at uh, 1 John chapter 1, begin at verse 5. This is all in the plural here. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. You see that? Not individualistic. Fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us, plural, from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, plural, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Live Christian community aware. That's how you live this passage. Number three, live willing to accept valid correction. Proverbs 17.10 says, A rebuke goes deeper into the heart of the wise than a hundred blows into a fool. That, that applies to all ages, all stages of life. Live willing to accept valid correction. Number four, live confessing sin, not coddling it. Let's say you, you want to have success in your life. You want to have success in your work. It comes when you, and you all know this, it comes when you don't, cave into or succumb to sinful urges like gossip and cheating and lying and stealing. And when you do fall into those, you humble yourself. You confess your sins. You don't coddle it. I don't even remember who wrote this this week, but I read it, and I think it was Samuel Say, but he said, it, you're not just broken and wounded. You don't just make mistakes. You are a sinner and you sin. You don't need more self-care. You need Holy Spirit wrought repentance. And many of our problems would be fixed if we started with this truth in mind first. Number five, live content in Christ's forgiveness. Want to live this? Live content in Christ's forgiveness. This is not about work in a vacuum, by the way. This is about the glory of Christ reflected in the church as the church does what, what we're called to do. The obedient church says what needs to be said, does what needs to be done, calls for repentance because repentance leads to forgiveness where you have the truth on your lips and 
and love in your heart and work on your hands. And, and, and you don't have to live always hounded by your sin, always haunted by your sin. You're humbled by your sin. You're humbled by your failures. But every believer, God wants you to be rejoicing in Christ and his forgiveness. And then number six, you want to live this? Live working for God's glory and the common good. Your work should reflect the one you worship, God's glory, contribute to the common good, do something helpful, do something good, have something to share. It is about God and his glory, not you and yours. What you do is, what you want to do is work without reserve for the pleasure of another. You want to think biblically. You, you say, I'm not going to seek my own interests first. I'm going to be guided by the great two commands, love God, love my neighbor. I'm going to realize it's more than emotions. It's love and obedience going hand in hand. As Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. I want to be a faithful steward of my time and my talents, my treasure, my days, my gifts, my possessions, because every day matters. And productivity, by the way, is not a self-centered pursuit. What you want to wake up in the morning thinking is, I'm going to do all I can today to serve Christ, that I am not my own that I belong to the Lord and I belong to the church and I don't create my own brand, I build Christ's kingdom. I don't insulate myself in my system. I don't set limits on how I'll interact. I have appropriate organization and boundaries, but if I box people out, I, I will hinder them. If I box people out, I will hinder rather than help. If I think of myself first, I will make other people miserable. And we think this way that I'm not going to be a stepping stone or a doormat with no limits, but I'm not going to demand and direct and create some distraction-free zone perimeter around myself. I'm going to be willing to, uh, to, to spend and be spent for the souls of others, as Paul put it. Not thinking of myself more highly than I ought to think, but think soberly as God has allotted to me a measure of faith. Jesus said, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. That's why we can do this. Paul lays down this humble, bold example, this pattern of dealing with issues, and he says what needs to be said clearly, firmly, humbly, boldly, lovingly. He does so respecting those made in God's image. What are you doing? What are you thinking? How can you? Amy Carmichael also wrote this. If I'm afraid to speak the truth, lest I lose affection or lest the one concerned should say, you do not understand, or because I fear to lose my reputation for kindness, if I put my own good name before the other's highest good, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I put my own happiness before the well-being of the work entrusted to me, if though I have this ministry I have received and receive much mercy, I faint, then I know nothing of Calvary love. Is the obedient church, we want to be the obedient church, says what needs to be said, does what needs to be done, and it pleases God. And Lord, we thank you for your grace to us. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We pray that you would produce in us such, such praiseworthy work that we serve your interests and reflect your glory and contribute to the common good. And we pray in Christ's name, amen. We move to the table and we come celebrating the Lord's table. It's for the believer, the body to do together. It's where we realize that we have 
rested from our works trying to make ourselves right and trying to earn our way to heaven and we rest in Christ's finished work at the cross which is the only way we can live and the only way we can serve his purposes. In Hebrews, in chapter 9, it says, Just as it is appointed for man to die once and after this comes judgment, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Those who have been saved by grace alone through faith in Christ alone because of the shed blood of Christ. That we eagerly await our Savior to return from heaven because we have put our trust in him that we come to a table like this and it reminds us of gospel truth. It reminds us that Jesus died in our place and this is for the believer who has examined their heart, who has really re recommitted themselves to Christ and said, I want to serve you, confess their sins. We know we get soiled in this world. And Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. This covenant, this unilateral covenant that, that Christ keeps. Because we can't keep covenant with God that God saves of his own good pleasure, his own good will, his own good purposes. And Jesus said, this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The Lord, we come to this table again, remembering you, your broken body, your shed blood and proclaiming until you come again your death in our place. We praise you. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and join as we close singing Only Jesus.
been our extreme privilege and gift from God to gather together today in person and via the live stream. It's, it's a gift from God to, to be in Christian fellowship with fellow believers. And as we close, hear the words of Hebrews 13 as our benediction in our, in our final prayer. And now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor.